All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast, episode 28. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast Network. You're joining us with your today, a co-host and father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindrop. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. I'm excited to have our guest on today. Uh, you know, he's a couple years older than me, but I remember watching this guy in Calgary and Pittsburgh. So I can't wait to uh, talk hockey with our guest. Give us our intro, Andrew. Yeah, so our guest today is Dan Quinn. So Dan played in the OHL from 1981 till 1984 and was later drafted 13th overall by the Calgary Flames. After dominating the OHL, his services were immediately requested, and he began his journey through the NHL in 1983. So Dan played for the Calgary Flames until the 1986-1987 season, and then was traded to Pittsburgh that season and played for the team until 1990. He then continued to play hockey until 1997, suiting up for six additional teams and ending his career with 266 goals and 685 points in 805 games. Without further ado, please welcome Dan Quinn. Thanks for joining us Thank today, you. man. Andrew, Jim, father, son, nice to meet you. Join your podcast. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So we'll kick it off first, Dan. So growing up, what was the one team that you always wanted to secretly suit up for? Um, well, I lived in, I was born in Ottawa, Ontario. So that was sort of, uh, um, you know, I'm in Ontario, but Toronto was, should, should have been my team, but my team was more Montreal. And to be honest, because, you know, I was born in 65 um, when I was at that impressionable age, Bobby Orr was the best player. So I always knew, uh, I still think I remember every Bruins player from those early 70s teams, 72, 3, 4, as well as Montreal. They had great rivalries. But um, I would say I never really thought of playing for one team just to sort of get in the league. Awesome. Nice. Cool. So you were drafted 13th overall in the 83 NHL draft. What was your draft story? What was it like for you? Um, well, it was a cool weekend. So we'll get into other stuff that I had, I've had happen in, uh, in, in, other, in another sport. But that particular weekend, the draft was in Montreal. Um, we went up on a, fri on a Friday and went to an expo game. And if you uh, fast forward and come back to it later, but Rick Roden was a pitcher for the Pirates against the Expos. And then uh, you get up Saturday morning, you go to the draft and it was, um, you know, you sit there and listen to 12 guys. You know, I knew I wasn't going to go to, I thought I might go 12 to the Rangers. I knew I was going to go 14 to Washington, which is picking after Calgary. So I knew that I was sort of in that 12, 13, 14 window. And um, lo and behold, Calgary took me and go down, you meet everybody. And, and then you're out, out and about in Montreal for the afternoon. Uh, Steve Eiserman and I were from Ottawa at the time, kind of working out and grew up together from, even though I moved away to London, but uh, we knew each other pretty well. So we spent the Saturday night and then we're lucky enough to go to the, to get our first stick patterns made at Titan. Um, <laughs> I think it's Victoriaville, Quebec, just outside of Montreal. And then we, we took the train back to Ottawa. Our parents had left us. So we've had enough. You guys go do your thing. So it was a pretty cool weekend and um, something I'll never forget. So when you're um, meeting or maybe, I guess, before the draft, I don't know how it works. When you're meeting with teams while they're deciding who they're going to draft, what, is, what, is, what do those meetings look like, sound like? Well, you're talking 1983. So uh, my, my family had moved to a small town called Brockville. So my meetings were at a McDonald's just off the highway where they could drive to. So uh, <laughs> this is pre-technology and, and all the algorithms and, and, and whatnot that they have now. Um, but as I said, Washington came to meet me and we sat and he had some good questions and um, you know, asked me how I you know, had so many point goals in the, in the OHL that year in, in my, in my 82-3 season. And how, how come I only had nine power play goals? And I said, well, did you see how many assists I had? And then, so it was just stuff like that to sort of uh, get to know them. Um, 
that would have been a, a decent fit. Obviously, Calgary was only a second or third year, and we got to open the Saddle Dome. Um, I think I think you point you pointed on. I I at that training camp it was a very veteran team, um, and I tell people the story. Even in '86, I was in my third year, but our right wingers were Joe Mullen, Hawk and Lou, um, Lanny McDonald, Brett Hall came up. We had Tim Hunter and Colin Patterson, and we just had depth. And back then, you know, we'd have 60, 70 players under contract. You know, they could call up and down all the time, but uh, up, up center, they had, you know, Kent Nielsen and Doug Risebro. And so Mike Eves, it was and Jim Poplinski and other guy, Joel Otto soon, soon became, and I can't remember what year he came, but so I, I got sent back to junior and slow start, but then I was on a toward pace. I was going to, I was just going to set records. I was going to, I was, I don't know, three, almost three points a game. And then they called me up and luckily I got about a point a game, my first 10, nine, 10 games. And they had to make a decision before sending me back. And um, I luckily stayed on and almost got a point a game that year. And, and then, um, got to play Edmonton in their first Stanley cup year in 84, we played them a seven game series. We lost in the game seventh game. So it was a, it was a, again, a great experience, but it was also, uh, in, you know, in reflection, you know, playing against that great Oiler team and, and the unbelievable battle of Alberta, you know, maybe it would have been, would have been nicer to get tra- drafted by the Rangers or Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned it. you lit up the OHL and uh, you know, your short time there, I think it was maybe two and a half seasons. And the stat is you scored 251 points in 161 games. So you kind of had your way with whoever you were playing with. What was your transition like from the OHL to the NHL? Well, if, I, if you back up, so the, the OHL team that drafted me was the Belleville Bulls. They're no longer, uh, they moved to, I think, they moved to Hamilton, I believe. But they were an expansion team. They'd come out of what's called Tier 2 in Ontario. And I was their first ever pick. Um, and so we had a lot of, how shall you know, rough guys, uh, but you know, a couple of guys like Marty McSorty was a walk on, wasn't even drafted, but you know, fought his way onto the lineup, made himself two years later into a heck of a hockey player, uh, and made the NHL. Craig Cox was there, so it was a very interesting group. But we had enough players that in our second year as an expansion team, we did make the playoffs. That that was pretty cool. Um, but going into the NHL, I, I was in some ways, um, I struggled this as I went moved through in my career too. My bad years, like my second year in the NHL, wasn't as good as my first because. I got in a training camp at Belleville and was in such great shape. And then I went to Calgary. You know, I already had a week of skating with the guys and then a week of real training camp that I had a really good start in Calgary. But as the camp went on, you know, the, my conditioning fell off because we didn't, you know, we didn't know how to do what they do now with all the bikes and stuff. And, uh, and, I, and I think the second year I didn't go to training camp. I was only 19 and I, I got off to a slower start that year uh, in Calgary. But the transition when I got called up to your question was, you know, first game, they hardly played me, but it was lucky they got, we got beat 7-1, and then I got a lot of shifts in the third period. Uh, my second game was in Washington. Um, I'll never forget. Then I got pretty much a regular shift and some power play time. And then in the, in the third game was in Toronto, and, uh, you know, I didn't plan on it. My parents watched it on TV. I should have had them at the game, but I ended up getting shifts in overtime. So then, then I had about, I think I finally had a point and then I got, had a three point game in LA and then I scored my first goal against Edmonton on December 23rd to tie up the game and uh, scored again on December 26th. And that was pretty much, you know, I, I didn't have too many lulls that particular rookie season in those 53 or four games. And so <clears throat> during the OHL, you had over two points per game in your, in that second season, did players ever try targeting you or do they purposely I mean, have guys just, I mean, did you have a target on your back the whole time you were playing? Well, I was, like I said, I had, I had a very tough team. So we had, but it was, we played back in a barbaric era, meaning that, you know, there was five on fives and bench clearings if something got out of control, but 
you know, I really had my first year, there was times where I made sure I knew where I was and, and certain guys, but my second year, you know, I knew that if somebody did something cheap to me and they did that they would, they were going to get it worse than I got it. So, um, but no, it was, it was never, you never think that way. And it was just the way the game was. It's different now. They have so much more respect for each other, but it was a barbaric era with some very tough, tough men that, that played with you. And um, it, it's, it's, it, I just like, I like the way hockey is now. I think it's a great sport the way awesome. it is now. And even though some of the greatest, you know, Bob Proberts and we, you talk Bruins, Terry O'Reilly's, but you know, they were hockey players and they would have found a way to play in the modern game too uh, because they could play hockey, but you know, as tough as nails, as you know, but there was a lot of guys that probably couldn't have played if, if there was the skill level now. Right. So you, you took, you kind of breezed through your, your first NHL game, but can you take us through the um, getting in the locker room for the first time as a rookie uh, hitting that ice? Was it a big deal for you? Was it like, Hey, I finally achieved, you know, one of my major goals by making it here. But then again, I mean, you're a first round pick. You were kind of expected to be in the NHL, but what was that like for you? Well, they, they planned it. I, we, I played my last junior game in Cornwall, which, and then I got on a, Somebody, one of the scouts picked me up and drove me to Quebec City. So that was my first game. As I said, they, they waited till the game was out of hand before I got a couple shifts um, and didn't play a lot. But when I got out there, somehow the puck got on my stick. So I didn't, you know, I, I made a little bit of enough to get more, getting more ice time in the second game. Um, but you didn't, I didn't, you know, had no, no real, when you're breaking in, you don't know which, you're, can you play? You got to sort of make sure you feel like you can play and all you can do is play the way you know. I just figured if I just worked my, my, my ass off whenever I get out there and did the simple things that, you know, then hopefully sometime at some point my skill would get in a position where I could make a play. And that's sort of the way it evolved. So, and I got to play some really good players too. I didn't play, you know, the Calgary had, like I said, some very, very good uh, right wingers. I get to play with Landon McDonald or Hawk and Lube and you know, Paul Reinhardt on D we had, you know, uh, we, had a, we had a lot of good players right away that I got to, uh, you know, sort of make good, play some good hockey with. Now in that rookie year, uh, was is there any uh, pranks that were pulled on you? We had Darren Banks on here a few months ago, and he uh, suited up for uh, Calgary uh, for their camp and exhibition. He didn't make the team, but he mentions a story how the vets, you know, these millionaires taking him out to lunch, and they left him with a bill. Each one of them got up and walked out the door and left him with about an eight hundred dollar lunch bill, and he was like, "What's going on?" Of course, they were just standing around the corner, but he was, he was. Uh, that was kind of a story. Did you have any pranks put on you from the vets? Yeah, we had, they had a rookie. Uh, we had, we played, I think it was one of the last hockey games played in on Super Bowl Sunday, but we played in Chicago. I remember the games we played in Hartland before took a, an airplane that I don't even know if it had wings. It was somehow made it because they didn't have, you know, the budgets were still low. We made it into Chicago and had to play Hartford on a Saturday night. We played at one o'clock in Chicago on a Sunday afternoon because the Super Bowl was that afternoon. So we, uh, Anyway, that after we stayed around, we watched the Super Bowl, but all the all the rookies had to do a skit, and uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so we had David Capuano on here last week, and uh, we had mentioned you were going to be on the show, and so we had asked, you know, is there any stories or pranks or anything that we could bring up that would shock you? And I hope I'm getting this right, Dad, but he mentioned he yeah. told us to mention something, and, about you. and he was laughing when he was saying it. So we got kind of half the story something about you being thrown through a wall or something i don't know if it was like in the locker room or something but something about you being thrown through a wall at some point well he was my roommate so um it might have been when i was giving him some heck and he pushed me through and then the wall was a little thinner than if we had we had thought so we had <laughs> patch up some uh, in our apartment in vancouver we uh so dave and i still communicate via social media and text but yeah we um 
he got he was trying to pop break in the league in Pittsburgh, you know, highly ranked uh, collegiate kid. And but we got traded to Vancouver together, and uh, spent some time with his family in the off season or when we had breaks. So I, uh, you know, I said let's room together. I was in my eighth or ninth year, and he was just a kid. But uh, yeah, we had a good time. He's a, he's a good person, and uh, I'm sure he didn't have the career he wanted to, but he was he was uh, he was a lot of fun to live with. Awesome. So you were traded twice in a single year. I know that it was two different seasons, but was it hard adjusting being on three different teams, Justin, and being in three different cities and everything, traveling and having to settle down? Was that kind of difficult at the time? I don't know what year that would have been unless it looks different. I can't remember. So like the way for me, I, I, I did my first three plus years at Calgary and four, almost five years in Pittsburgh. And then a year and a half in Vancouver, got traded to St. Louis if that's the year you're referring to, I started then next year, St. Louis traded me and Brendan Moore for the Sutters to, um, to Philly. But there was, you know, I played with Philly twice. When you mentioned all the teams, I played with Pittsburgh twice. I played with Ottawa twice. Um, so, but it was, you know, the most times, or I, I'm, it's probably not a good thing, but I had a sixth sense when I knew that I could just tell by the way the management or the coaches were walking around that your name's been circulated. <laughs> really? Know, okay. It's just very hard for them to come in and be, if they're not as jovial as they were when things are going well, when you know, times are questionable and you're like, there's something going on here. And, you know, or you miss up when you're always a starter on certain situation, a power player, or penalty kill, and you miss that for a game or two, mm. they're looking at somebody else. So you, you never know, but uh, you know, it was a part of the business. The one that, you know, the one that really uh, gutted me was the Pittsburgh trade. I was happy to get traded out of Calgary, to be honest. Uh, not happy, but you know, I love Calgary, but it was, you know, Badger Bob is, and anybody else was a head coach there. Was He was a college coach, and he really struggled with skill and talent guys. Um, myself, Kent, Kent Nielsen, um, and he ended up, you know, losing his job, and he had a great team there. We went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 86, and he juggled the lineup around, and we had Joe Mullen. I mean, we had so many good hockey players. We'd beaten Edmonton and, and then lost to Montreal. Anyway. He got let go, and uh, and then I think they won the cup with Terry Crisp. And then, conversely, when he got to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I was gone. But Badger Bob was sort of he let Lemieux and Coffee and Recky and Stevens do their thing, and you know Francis, and uh, so he had, he learned. But at the particular time, I was happy at the age of 21 to get to, to trade to Pittsburgh. I mentioned you know, I had a great time there. I you know got there with Mario, um, Dougie Bodger, and we made some trades. I ended up with Coff, and then. Kevin Stevens and Mark Recchi broke in and we had a heck of a hockey team. Um, I think in 89, we lost in seven to, to Philly, which we should have won. And we could have won the cup that year. Uh, we're struggling, but you know, that particular, you know, was my best years. And I played for four G four coaches and three GMs in, you know, in, th in four years, four and a half years. So it was always going to be not Mario. If they're going to move somebody that had some tradeability or market market value it was going to be, and I could sense that. And, and then I got traded to Vancouver and that I was gutted, you know, to be honest, um, I went out there with a really bad attitude and ended up playing decent that year. And they made me sort of a three try captain. And, and, and it's, that's to my, to this day, if, as I look back with some maturity and, re, and regret, or, you know, that was my worst, I had the bad attitude and, and I should have, they treated me well, gave me a nice contract. And if I had to do it all over, I would have embraced it a lot more. So what, what was it like then during that time to be traded? Is it, is it the GM pulling you aside? Is it the coach? I mean, do you just get a phone call? Do you get a meeting? I mean, well, the first one, that. so the first time I was traded, I was in Calgary and Cliff Fletcher was, he knew my family. So he was a little more uh, kids glove. So he had me come down to the rink. And I knew after, I knew after the game that morning, um, sorry, something's at the door. Um, after the game on the, whatever night it was that something was up because the GM and everybody walked in the office, but I was on a bike. So they didn't, they didn't come get me. 
and um, got a call in the morning, come down to the office. So I knew I was going to get traded. And I just went in and said, hey, just tell me where. I appreciate everything. Thanks for drafting me. And it's been a great three plus years. He said, Pittsburgh. And but like I said, he was very more kid glove and trying to be really classy about it. And he's a classy man. Um, then and I got traded from Pittsburgh to Vancouver. Uh, we were in New York City getting ready. It was a game day. And I got a call around lunchtime to come up to the GM's suite. And I said, just went on the phone. Just tell me where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have to come up and see you. And then what time is my flight? And uh, so I had a, he said, we're going to fly back to Pittsburgh this afternoon. It was a pretty big trade. There's like three or four of us. And then, um, so we went to, uh, uh, what was that? So then I went, to, I flew it to Vancouver. And I'll come back to your, to your point, to your question. It's so different now. When I got traded from Calgary to Pittsburgh, nobody met me at the airport. Uh, really? I got, I got a cab to a Greek, what's called a, it was a Holiday Inn. And I had my equipment and some luggage. And, you know, just be at the rink the next day for a practice, go down and get fitted with some of the Penguin stuff and get the new helmet and gloves. And, you know, you, get, you had really had no, you were on your own. Like now they would pick you up, especially I was traded for Mike Bull. It was a pretty big trade for both teams. But somebody would have picked you up and taken to, you know, got you acclimated. I'd take a cab in the morning. I'd have a car. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver, like a trade to Vancouver, you know, the assistant GM picked us all up and he walked us through here. Here's where you're going to stay. Here's what the practice. Here's the schedule for the next couple of days. You're going to meet the media. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a cold reality once you're, you know, put to the curb. So um, those are the two that I remember. I can't remember what was the other one I got traded. Yeah. Uh, oh, the one that was, was interesting too, was a big trade when we got traded from Vancouver to St. Louis, me and Garth Butcher for like six players, but we were, that was also game day of trade deadline. So we were getting dressed, half dressed for a morning skate. And then we had to play that night in, in Hartford. So we got in a eight at the airport and took our equipment, landed and played that night. So it was crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm a big uh, Bob Johnson fan. So what was he like as a coach? And did he have an impact in your early playing career? Well, you just heard my, you know, his bench and how he treated a lot of things. But but to, to your question, I mean, he had great practices. He was one of the reasons I became sort of a power play specialist. He had a great mind, very innovative. Um, he just struggled with talented players. And, and you know, I know in a sense, I say that in a way back then, you know, if you were Tom, you had a really good game and, and then all of a sudden he would just you'd skip a shift and you know good players don't take that very well you know you're you see nowadays it's, there's continuity and but he had the role he had he had a 25 player you know locker room he could always have guys moving in and out and he enjoyed that because he got away with it in college but you know guys are taking a pride in being professional and, and you know it it it's just where that's what ended up biting him in the butt because but he was he was cool he was the first coach to you know all the teams have it now but he had a big rink on the carpet in the saddle dome so he can instruct with pucks and see it break it down very clear. Um, I think he was one of the first. We were the one of the first teams to do off ice training before camp started, which mm -hmm. was my first year in '83. We ran the, the track at the Calgary Stampede in the dirt. Uh, you know, so their time is for a mile or a mile and a half, and you know, there's 70 guys running around this track. It was pretty funny, but you know they did push ups and pull chin ups and MBO two. But I think Badger was one of the first innovative you know guys to do that. Um, but no question, you know, all three phases of the game, special teams, he was very prepared. It just was, you know, if you look at the way the game is now, there's a lot of that done by the other coaches, but the coaches that I think are having success, including uh, fellow Otto, who played with my brother, Bruce Cassidy, right the year younger than me, and Rick Tockett and Barubi and, and, you know, guys that just get, they get their guys going and they know how they play the game. And, and that's what always hurt, I think, Badger in, in Calgary anyway. So you mentioned the 86 Calgary goes all the way to the Stanley cup finals. Um, and 
you know, again, and you mentioned it, beating a very good Oiler team to get there. Um, how good was that Calgary team in 86? We were very good. You know, we had, uh, again, it, it ended up hurting me at just too much depth, but we had some great veterans uh, in, in Risebro, Tonelli, McDonald. <clears throat> we traded for John. I'm not sure if it was that year or the year before. Um, then we had some speaking score with Joey Mullen, uh, some pretty good size D. Uh, Paul, Paul Reiner, Gary Suter, and Al McGinnis had really established themselves as great players in the league. Um, so, yeah, it was good. We had, uh, I think we had a quick series, Vancouver maybe first, and then Edmonton was, we had a chance to close them out at home on game six and then, and then got a lucky break in game seven. They were just flat, um, by far the better team. But, um, you know, it was a, <laughs> I, I tell us, I'm friendly with, you know, reconnected sort of Wayne Gretzky. We talked about Paul Coffey. I still keep in touch with, if you think back to the way the game was, then we would play Edmonton Calgary, which was eight times in a regular season. So my first year we played two exhibition games against them, eight games in the regular season, and then a seven game series. So you've played them 17 times against probably arguably one of the best hockey teams of all time. Fast forward to next year, two exhibition, eight in regular season. There's another, there's another 10 and then another 17 and 86, 86, 80, or 85, 86. So I played the Edmonton Oilers like 50 times <laughs> in my first three years. And you're talking about, you know, Gretzky, Messi. I mean, it's just, you know, the team was uh, Glenn Anderson, Hall of Famers, Grant Fear. Fogle and low, I could go on and on. So it was, it was, and they were, in those days, the games got out of hand, you know, five or six of the games would be really good, but one or two were going to get out of hand either way. And then those games were just brutal. And you, if you follow Boston, same thing in Mont Mont Montreal, Boston, you know, that's when all the fights would start. And like, you had to really have your head on a swivel. <laughs> yeah. And so you were obviously talking earlier about how, you know, hockey in the eighties was, it was pretty barbaric, but what player got under your skin the most? Does a name pop out to you? No, but there's always guys like, you know, there's guys I didn't like to play against, but there's always uh, more than that. There's just guys who just knew where they were at all times because you didn't know if they're, you know, everybody said, was Probert scared? Probert never scared me because I know he's never going to do anything to me, you know, but he would go after McSorley or somebody, but he was never going to take a cheap shot at a 180-pound, 175-pound skilled player. Um, but there were some guys that, you you know, I remember like Rob Ramage I never trusted. There was a uh, Dave Manson. You know, Ben Wilson, I was always had a 10-foot rule. So I got to the blue line, I just dumped it in and changed. The guys, <laughs> yes. they, were they were paired together in Chicago. I don't know if you ever saw them, but they never really did anything to you, but to a skilled player. But I was like, you know, I'll, I'm going to just dump it in and change. And the coach goes, the shifts are pretty short when those guys are out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so you only had one season where you had over 100 penalty minutes. So obviously you did stick up for yourself from time to time, but was it just because you were – a smaller, more skilled player, you didn't have to, or did you, were you just good at having people just be around you and protect you? Yeah, I would know. It was, I was never going to, um, I mean, we you had to stick up. You had to be, just had to play. And if you showed your teammates that you were, you know, take a hit or somebody hits you, you didn't, you, you still played and you bounced back and you played in tough buildings. You know, I love playing in New York city, Madison square. I love playing in Boston garden, Chicago stadium. Um, so if you showed your teammates that there was always a couple of guys that have your back and I was always had a winger, they could play and score, but also, you know, they would, they'd be right in there if something happened. You know, that's the way that the dynamics of all these lines would be back then. So, and I know you had kind of talked about this earlier briefly, but two, two, a bit of a two-part question. Do you still see a place for fighting in this sport? And do you think fighting will continue to stay or will it be banned in the next five, 10 years? That's a good question. Um, I can show you videos if you, you know, you hang up with me and pull up Domi Probert. 
the one they had in Madison Square Garden. And, and then you look at their bench and you got Stevie Eisman standing on the bench, every player and every person in the building standing there. Um, and then, but that's, again, I'm, I'm going to mention guys from McSorty and the guys I mentioned and, you know, Dave Manson and Ben Wilson and Timmy Hunter, Dave Semenko, guys that played in the 80s. Um, you know, O'Reilly was ascending, but, you know, those kind of guys, Cam Neely. Um, and then you get to where at the end of my career, there's this big goons that we get us these big guys, but they just stage fought. You know, they weren't, it was not the way the game, that art of that position was played is that, you know, you had to be good enough to get a regular shift, but you knew when and where to like, if somebody bumped your goalie or somebody was getting out of line with one of your skill players, there was a, there was an art to that, that role. And um, I was lucky enough to, so that's, that's sort of gone now that, that player isn't around. So uh, to say, uh, I mean, do you think that Tom Wilson in, in Washington, you wouldn't want to have in your team? I mean, the guys, he can hit anybody and there's nobody who can fight him. So back in the old days, there would, you'd have to have a guy in your roster that could go out and neutralize him with a fight. Um, and my, most teams don't have that player anymore. So um, it's a good question. I'm, I was, I saw a lot of fights. I, I think the barbaricness, you know, they've gotten rid of the five on fives. And, you know, if you do get, you're, you're gone, instigators are gone. But to, to get away with it altogether, uh, it does take some accountability away from guys being cheap shots and swinging sticks and, and or just, just playing the wrong way. And um, what, what does the NHL do with a guy like Tom Wilson? And again, he, he's not a goon. He's not really an enforcer. He's a skilled player. And yeah, I mean, any team would love to have him, but he kind of goes over the edge. That switch turns on and he just kind of becomes undisciplined. I mean, last night he cross-checks you know, uh, what's his name in the face, just, you know, just stupid penalties. But what, what, what does the NHL do with him where he's a repeat offender? He just goes a little overboard. Is he, you know, can Laviette control him? I don't know, but it, it seems to be, he's kind of, they, he doesn't know where he's, he's falls into the new NHL. Yeah. And you, and you want, you want him to play if you're, I mean, like I said, if he's on your team, you want him to play the way he can and that's to play physical He's a big, big human and, uh, and he can fight, you know, the, I think the episode against the Rangers, he snapped, but you know, they're pulling and plugging at him, and you don't see what led up to it. They only show the incident. You don't see what maybe happened 30 seconds prior. Uh, that said, I thought that was a little bit, I also kind of thought a couple of times he's, he's hit people and it's just, I mean, if I hit him, my head is going to be at his shoulder head and it's going to be hard if he's just going in to make a clean hit, you know, a guy that's 5'11 or six feet is going to hit a shoulder if, if he's not paying attention. And if it hits him in the face or chin, that's a suspension nowadays. So it's, it's tough. There's some, some hits right away. I mean, that kid, they got hit. Tavares got hit the other night. That was a clean hit. But then they, they said, let's have a fight. And I understand that. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a different era, uh, how they police it. Uh, they police them. That's why players police themselves generally. But the, some of the stuff... You know, I wish they'd let stick to stick contact happen again. Meaning like if you poke a guy's stick strategically to get a puck off him, they call it a slash. Now there's just a couple of things that otherwise I think it's great. I love that. There's no hooking, there's no holding, you know, the, there's sometimes, I don't know how these, you, know, you can't run defensemen back in the day. You know, we, we would just dump it in and try to run a really good player. Now you can't do that. So, right. um, but that's it. To answer your question, I don't know how you handle Tom Wilson. I just think hopefully every, I'd try to draft one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, at that point, does a coach pull him aside or is the coach just he knows what he did and a coach doesn't have to say anything? Yeah, and I'm guessing, you know, they, they were out of the series last night. I'm sure he, you know, he snapped and I didn't I didn't see what he did. I didn't see the, ins- the end of the game last night. I saw just when it was lopsided. But um, yeah, so something like that, Jack, something like that, do you have to uh, um, 
just kind of bear with and, and hope he doesn't do something to put your team in constant shorthanded situations uh, because the power plays for the most part are so good. And if you look at, um, we're talking about the, the Panthers. And I thought, so I live here in Florida. The Panthers in Tampa last Sunday night, uh, a week ago yesterday, was one of the best hockey games. I don't know if you guys got to see it. They let people in again. So, you know, I think that sparked it. But one of the best hockey games I've seen from both sides. Kucherov came back after how many months off? And it, but it was played hard hitting. Uh, but, you know, in this day and age, if you get a little too chippy, and you take stupid penalties, you're done. And, you you know, you're, you're going to Kucherov, Sam goes, that power play comes up. And conversely, Florida's got a good power play. So if, if Tampa would have continued to maintain the chippiness, they would have had a tough time. So um, it's just it's a it's a really, you know, Boston's got a great power play. You know, that's that helped you against Washington. So you, it's that's the whole way you build a team is that if somebody does get chippy, you score on them. And if, as long as the officials do it the right way. So we see a lot of uh, younger players in the NHL get hurt, put themselves into uh, some um, some situations where they leave themselves vulnerable to hits. You know, like McAvoy, he's been okay this season, but he you know he, he, he's one that likes to turn his back, and you know he he gets hurt a lot. How do you, as a player, and I know it's it's hockey awareness, but if you can go a little further, how do you protect yourself when you are playing? And I'm not talking having your line mates. I'm talking you're going to go in the corner. You know you're going to get hit, and you just have to protect yourself. How, how did you do it? Well, for somebody like me, I had to puck a lot, so I was going to get hit. Uh, so you had to learn, especially when you would take a pass coming out of your own zone or into the neutral zone, you have your head up. You know, you'd have to know – you'd have to sense where the defenseman was coming so he couldn't catch you with your head down. You can't just turn and turn up ice. And it still happens now. Uh, and I think coming back, because I did, I did some uh, – minor some coaching down here for a couple of seasons and the kids gravitated from the no hitting to the hitting. And I, I think your question raises what I, my thing is that everyone wants to know how to hit the true, the true art of it is to how to take a hit, you know, how to roll with it. Like how to, you know, you're never going to Patrick Kane or Gretzky, you know, even myself. And we played, I, I, I was going to take a 220 pound guy on. I knew how to, I was going to take the hit, but I wasn't going to meet it with a hit. I was just going to roll it off it and, you know, just try to sort of not, you know, like a bullfighter, you just try to not get totally lined up. And if he gets you, he gets you. But um, I don't think players taught the players aren't taught how to take a hit anymore. And they're and or you know you're freed up because there's no hitting, and they've had their face against the boards three feet out since they were nine, seven, eight, ten, nine, eleven, twelve years old. And all of a sudden they're hitting, and the wrong guy gets them, and he barrels them into the into you know, head first. So um, it's a good question. But, but you know, some guys just are fearless and not too worried about it. Well, I mean, Brad Marchand, um, I don't know if you watch too much, uh, a lot of Bruins, but, you know, your style of play, would, I remember you playing for Pittsburgh a lot, playing, you know, against Boston. And uh, you, you remind me, uh, or Marchand reminds me a lot of you, like you said, he can uh, come out with the puck, take the hit, roll with it, and uh, always seems to come out with the puck about 90% of the time. And I think you did the same thing. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe Marchand learned from – from watching guys like you, because he's what five nine. I mean, he's a small guy. He's quick hands, and he uses his body as posture. And sometimes guys that size are actually harder because they get down so low you can't even. You know, they're like little pit bulls. You can't get them. But yeah. uh, no, he's a. I love watching that. That line is spectacular, and uh, you know, he's obviously. Here's another. He's the same as Wilson. You get pain in the ass to play against, but you want him on your team, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, Marshawn's, Marshawn's a good common, common sense, great leader. So it's been a great, great run they've had. And uh, they're going to be a Stanley Cup's wide open this year, I think. 
who was the player that you learned the most from in your career? And this could be any part of your career. It doesn't have to be NHL, but as you're a young guy, I, I mean, you play with so many great people, but who did you learn from the most by watching? I think, you know, I, I say this to, you know, I have a young son and I say this to other parents, um, you know, I learned to play hockey by watching games and saying, all right, I can do that. Right? Well, I'm not going to try and do that. Cause that's not my, I don't, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I'm not Guy Fleur, but I look at, you know, I'll play making center. I remember like as a kid, like a Jacques Lemaire or, and how good they were in faceoffs and getting an assistance is just as important as a goal. And then, you know, obviously Gretzky comes along and you start seeing, you know, get in the blue line and drag, you know, stop and hit the late guy and all that stuff. So, you kind of learn from emulating. And, and I say the same thing about golf. You know, when my son is become a golfer in, in any sport. You know, when you watch uh, players of the highest level, as a, when you're in your formative years, you say, hey, I could do that. And the same thing would happen when I got in the league, you know, just sort of see guys that were similar styles, similar roles. And, you know, how did they do? And then monitor how their you know, stats were and, you know, how they did the little things. Like I say, face-offs. You know, some teams, I, you know, for a skill player, I was taking face-offs in both ends whenever it was important. And, you know, little things that you can do to make yourself a better pro, um, you pick up from a lot of different guys. So do you have any prediction? If you had to predict, if you had to predict, who do you think will take the Stanley Cup home? or Who has the best chance? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the fact that uh, Stamkos and Kucherov had the season off, basically. And uh, I think that goalie and, you know, Vasiliev and Hedman are just unbelievable. So I, I would say right now, and I live in Florida, watch them a lot, but they're playing well. And I think the fact that those two guys are very fresh in this, having done the pandemic playoff last year and winning the Stanley Cup, but then Kucherov didn't touch, you know, just stayed in. You know, he's fresh. Looks like he's playing great. Game one was unbelievable. Game three, game two, they were a little slow. But uh, <clears throat> I would say right now, them, you got to go with Vegas. Um, I thought Pittsburgh was going to – Pittsburgh started to play well after they got Carter. Um, and now they're in a battle dogfight with, with the Islanders. And then, you know, you got your Bruins. I think the East is wide open, but, you know, we couldn't end up with a Tampa-Boston final to get to get to the Stanley Cup. So before we, uh, we sort of wrap, wrap up, and we wrap up by doing a quick lightning round questions with you, uh, you're a serious golfer. When I say that, I mean, you make quite a bit of money golfing, and you've, uh, uh, you know, you, you've, you've been a caddy, for uh, what John Daly and and and, uh, and 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 others, tell us a little bit about your golf game. And you've won many many uh, tournaments. Uh, and I don't know what because I'm not really a golfer, so I, I don't really know. But it's uh, the elite celebrity elite. You're like the champ. No one can touch you. <laughs> well, there's um, as I said, we're part of my draft night story. So there was a tournament that uh, NBC started in 1990. Um, and so Lemieux got invited and asked me to come with them in 1991. And I was like, what? And then they had a purse and, and I played golf as a junior, had a few scholarship offers when I was 15, 16 years old, um, loved to play golf. But then when I got into the OHL and into the NHL, my first few years, I sort of played a, a little less, you know, competitively, just a lot of fun in the summer. And then I got traded to Pittsburgh and Mario was a golf nut. So I ended up calling Pittsburgh home for about 15 years and um, really got back into golf in the summer and playing some tournaments and stuff. So then this tournament comes around every July. Uh, I played in it for 23 years, was fortunate enough to win it five times. Um, and, and to this day, there's only two hockey players for all the hockey players that say they're good golfers. You know, Lemieux won it once and I won it five times. Nobody, none of the other guys. And I say that, you know, luck, very fortunate to have been there. The, um, 
that led to, you know, getting kind of known in the golf world and to when I you know, kind of get out of hockey, um, playing a few of those tournaments, some of the tour pros would play with me and, and friends would say, well, come caddy for me. And then da, da, da. And then I, uh, <clears throat> after, you know, 9-11 and the, the, the subprime crash and my nest egg getting a little smaller, uh, <laughs> very small, but uh, that's when I took on caddy and I got Ernie Els called me up and said, you want to go to Singapore and, and China and the world golf championship and, you know, work for me and, see what happens. And we came second and you know, I think we came 10th and then second in the second in the last the second one. He said, well, let's do this some more. So that's when I really took it as a professional. And um, it was great. I've caddied in the Masters, US Open a few times, uh, British Open. I've been in Singapore, China, Malaysia, every tour event in this country, you know, world, you know, so it's world golf events. And it was, uh, it was great to be inside the ropes for a sport that I loved at, at that time, you know, for about until about five, six years ago, I, I did it for about five years for mostly Ernie, but a few others too. What makes a good professional caddy? I mean, and, 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 and how, how, how do you help a golfer? Well, you got to know the game. It's, 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 a, it's good effort, energy. You know, they have to sense that you're, you're engaged as much as they are. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends and I live down in Florida. A lot of caddies ask me, what's, I said, one thing you got to be is one step ahead. You know, you, you can't let the player, the players playing, but you got to be thinking, all right, I've already done my work. He's on the shot. That's his job. Now you think about the next hole, or if he's on a putting green, he's going to want to know how, if you're already one step ahead, the yardage to the, the particular bunker and the wind direction, you need to already know that. So that when you get to the T and they ask, you're not figuring it out. You've already thought it through. So we're going to wrap this up. <clears throat> we're going to ask fast questions. You don't have to answer fast. If you've got a story, great. Or if you just have a two word answer, that's fine too. So we're going to cover about seven quick questions and then we'll wrap this up. All right. So who was your favorite line mate in your career? Um, I'm going to go with Randy Cunningworth uh, and Landy McDonald. Toughest team that you played against? Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, easy one. Toughest goalie to play against? You know, because of the way their style was, uh, it became Marty Baudur. Um, because, but that was such a defensive team, like they, and that's when they could block and tackle and water ski behind you. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's I would say that Marty Berdur, that group was the toughest one to uh, to score on him for me. What did he do that that really made it tough? I'm just kind of interested. Well, you know, he was a winner. He was a winner and competed, but he, you know, he knew to how, he knew where to play his angles and based on you know the fact that Scotty Stevens and Danico and Bruce Driver and Niedermeyer, he had some great defensemen in, in front of him. Uh, but that their whole style is defensive. Like you just never got two on ones or odd man rushes, or it was a grind to get a good scoring chance. So that's why I put him in when you asked the question. I've always said in my era, Grant Fear was the best goal I ever saw and I played against because he could stop your best shot, you know, with the equipment that they had then. And, and, and he did get hung out to dry. <laughs> the joke with the Oilers used to be when they tap him on the at this, okay, let's have a good game. We'll see you after the first. You know, they were going to give him 18 shots to get 18 shots themselves, and he, he better be ready. <laughs> favorite goalie that's that my, you, that's my analogy. Huh? Favorite goalie that you played with? Uh, well, I played with Tom Barrasso, who was a great goalie. I'm a huge, you know, great friend. I broke in the same area. I'm in a gutty two time Stanley Cup champion, Mike Vernon. So, um, you know, I played with Fear for a little bit. Uh, but there, those were, those would be the guys that I said that, you know, when they were on, they were, they were, you knew that you had a good chance to win that night if they were on. Awesome. Favorite arena to play. Madison square garden. Worst arena to play. And I'm talking ice conditions, locker room, all those considered. 
the old cap center. Ah, the old cap center. Uh, we've been keeping a tally here from guys playing in the eighties and nineties and, uh, that and the odd in Buffalo comes yeah. up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, odd in Buffalo gets, could be right up there. I don't know why. Just because I was in that Patrick division where we played in Washington four times a year. Yeah, there was nowhere. Yeah, we stayed in a hotel. We, don't, not even, we flew commercial then. So there was never a place to get food after a game. There was just nothing to do. There was just gray and this rink and the ice was bad and it was dark inside and ugh, it was awful. Since we do get a lot of Boston listeners, and some some players have mentioned that Boston, the ice conditions in Boston were pretty bad, but can you give us a little bit of a memory of Boston Garden, what it was like to play in the old garden? Yeah, no, the, the Bruins teams when I played were, were good teams. And Ray Bork was the, that whole era. He was in the league the whole time. And um, <clears throat> Peterson and, and Peterson, and <clears throat> he ended up getting... I ended up getting traded for Barry from, he was in Vancouver after he was in Boston and I got traded, he got traded to Pittsburgh for him and Tony Tanney and that trade I mentioned. But, you know, for me, I loved, everybody used to say, and they say about Olympic ice and I was a skill player. I love playing in Boston and Chicago. And they go, what? I said, because whenever you had a chance in a scoring zone, you were in the scoring zone, you know, a slap shot from way out was not a real threat to a goalie. And if you were quick and you can move fast, uh, I like, I just like playing in Boston, you know, it, it could go lopsided if they got going and they were running, you know, got a lot of fan noise, but if you're ready to play and get through those first 10 minutes in those buildings, you know, you're as an offensive player, you're going to get chances because you were always in such a, it's just like a ping pong uh, pinball machine. You were going to have action if you were quick and draw penalties and get a nice power play. Didn't have much time and space, but if you were quick and I was more quick than fast. So I, I like playing in those places. The funniest or craziest thing to happen to you during a game? Well, I'll go, I'll go with the, I'll get, these are two quick stories. Hopefully they're not too long. You mentioned Badger Bob. So there was in the, the one year, 86, Mark DeMoor and, and Mike Vernon were the goalies in Calgary. And then within a two week span, one is in Minnesota. And if you guys don't know, the old Mets center had steps like, um, like a real, like a two foot step. So you like you'd literally take two steps and go up two steps to get to the dressing room. And Mike Vernon in the middle of the first period calls a timeout, comes over to the bench and he says, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I got to take a dump. So we're all <laughs> laughing. So we go like this and you got all, the whole bench goes to watch him and he's, he can't go up, like he can't, I'm not trying to be too on your podcast, but he can't separate his legs, right? So he's got these two goalies. <laughs> he's going up one at a time, sideways up these steps. We're on our knees laughing. And, uh, and then the other one was Mark Dumour. About two weeks later, we're in that cap center. It was hot and hydrated, da-da-da. He, he was playing unbelievable, but all of a sudden, he couldn't get up. And we were like, uh-oh. And he might have had a few beers the night before, I guess. But he came over and called a timeout. And Badger's like, if you knew Badger, he's always like this. What are you using my timeout for? He's I need a Sprite. They <laughs> go, What? So he went in one more time and he couldn't get back up. We gave him some water, tried to give him some salt or whatever. And then he, he got pulled and he actually never played in the league again after that. He was playing great as a shame, but he just, you know, he obviously wasn't hydrated well enough and, and it cost him. But uh, those were two of the funniest things. There's a, there's a number of them, but that was pretty good. Wow, that is good. And I know this is a very broad question, but maybe just the first thing that pops in your head. What, what's a favorite memory from your playing career? Um, well, again, those, those Pittsburgh years, it was just a great group of guys. Uh, we played a really fun style. Um, I always say, you know, I, I luckily played with both Mario and Wayne. So I, I think if you put the three with Bobby Orr, that they're, they're three clearest best players of all time. Um, and that's all barroom conversation. Who's one, two, three, but 
Mario's the greatest player I ever saw play. Um, Wayne had the greatest career of anybody. And it was also great to watch play. And then obviously Bobby and his shortened, uh, you know, with those that equipment and the knee surgeries and even the, the doctors not knowing to be as good as they are now. But the way he, he changed the game with, you know, the ragging of the puck and, you know, no tape on a stick and still leading the league in scoring, you know, just, just a lot of things that I think had Bobby had all of the information, hydration, equipment, you know, rest charters you know he would have he would have been an unbelievable hockey player in this day and age too so at, you know and i say that conversely there's a lot of guys that are in this league could have played in our barbaric era as would a lot of the guys from our era so it's it's a it's a definitely a crime mean, some guys would have been good in any league in any, in any situation but it's completely different now the way they play but so Dave uh, Capiano is going to actually be on uh, this afternoon to help us recap the uh, Bruins playoffs. So he kind of put you on the spot with a story. Do you have uh, something that wouldn't be too bad that would be embarrassing, but not too embarrassing for him that we could say, hey, we talked to Dan Quinn this morning. He said something about this about you. What's going on? Yeah, I do, but it, we've kind of X-rated. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Yeah, we shouldn't because uh, you know he's his daughter has to help him set up the Zoom calls. <laughs> Let me if I think so, of something. If I think of something, I'll text you as the day goes on. Okay, awesome. that'd that'd be great. I'll well, give you another funny story if you since you guys are Boston and it it was cruel and you know stuff. You know the the PC's part of the sport. Like you can't say certain things about you know. It looks like a, playing like a girl. You know you can't say stuff right. So this is back in again. This is like 1990 and we're playing in Boston Garden. My coach was, I was playing for Vancouver and a guy named, his name is Bob McCammon. And he was a quickie, quick witted, and he would always throw jabs at the other teams. And you guys had Kenny Hodges' son, you remember? Yep. So he had a big nose and it just happened to be right, face off right outside our bench. And he had the blue line on offside and the place was quiet. And he goes, Hey, Haji. And Haji looks up at him and he goes, What do you do when you get a cold? Hang a bucket from it? <laughs> I always say this day is one of the best I've ever heard. And even Haji had to laugh. Their players were like, ooh, that was pretty bad, but it was pretty good. So that's the way it was, though. Yeah, you could go into a whole other, but again, it gets a little X-rated and a little less PC in this day and age. I don't even know how that we're so, I'm so afraid to say anything because we don't know what's right or wrong anymore. Yeah, well, ab absolutely. I don't blame you. Or who's going to be offended, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. Well, Dan, we uh, are so grateful of your time. And like I said, I've personally been looking forward to this since we uh, we booked you a few months ago. And uh, thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Good luck to you guys. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thank right. you. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Right, have a great day. All right, Andrew. Really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, it was a good time. And, you know, it's cool for me as, as a younger NHL fan to – get to know these older players that you remember playing from back in the day. That must be pretty cool. It is cool. And like I said, uh, I remember him in Calgary, but living in Boston, you know, they didn't play Calgary too much, the West coast trips, uh, but Pittsburgh and boy, man, he, like you said, he played with coffee, he played with uh, Tom Barrasso, Mario Lemieux. Uh, you know, these guys are just, you know, great, great players, great teams. And uh, he's a great player himself. I mean, I think he scored 40 goals with the Penguins, one season. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to start throwing out stats from my head uh, on with him because in case it was wrong. But uh, yeah, I mean, great player, another first round draft pick, and uh, man, what, what what a great guy! And like I said, a great golfer. I know we're not golfers, but uh, he's really a good golfer. Yeah, or that's, 
you know, or was, I'm sure he still is. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, very competitive golf. Yeah, it was a great interview. We also just want to say congratulations to the Bruins, man. They closed out Washington in five games. Well, we did, but again, this episode will probably be... It'll be 28 because we are actually (laughs) filming a bonus episode today, which will now be out before this. We're kind of speaking in future past tense. I I just hate talking about current events because right now our podcast is about a week. Yep. uh, Takes about a week to publish just because we've got them lined up. So uh, we hope you enjoy this and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys again, again, uh, five-star rating on Apple podcasts, uh, subscribe to us, do what you uh, can do to help us out here. And we'll continue to bring you good hockey talk with former uh, hockey players. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for episode 28. Everybody have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day.